Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today we're changing things up. Uh, we got a new format today, and I'm very excited to talk about that. But before we get into it, I want to uh, say a very happy welcome to our guest host this week, Botter from the Short Box A Comics podcast. Welcome in, buddy. Hey, man. What's up, Lance? Nice to have, nice to finally be on comic book keepers and nice to finally make your uh nice to meet you you know yes nice to meet you too the first time we've actually recorded together we've we we've talked on twitter and we've gone back and forth about about comics and stuff like that but this is the first time we actually get to speak see each other on the screen while we're recording so yeah put a face to the name in the text exactly we get to admire the backgrounds of of each other's <laughs> rooms where we record plenty of nerdy things to see there yeah which is my favorite thing of like uh recording uh especially like it took us a while to get into video, but now I've just been loving doing like video interviews and, and crossovers because it's like, well, I, I dabble in a, such a nerdy and visual medium. So being able to meet other comic book podcast guests and, and, and interviews and, and whatnot, like I love just it gives me like something to look at. You know, long story short, I love looking at like the shelves, what you got on the walls and you've got a fantastic recording room. Thank you, thank you. I hopefully I can upgrade it soon too. Trying to trying to afford a new place, so hopefully I can talk my wife into making one of the rooms <laughs> actually just be for goals, goals. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the short box. Yeah. So the short box podcast. I am one of four hosts. Uh, I I'm one of four hosts of the short box, a comic podcast, and we've been recording uh, since 2012. Um, since 2012, we've been entertaining listeners around the world. With great conversations about comic books and pop culture. Um, listeners can join us every Wednesday. We try to release an episode every Wednesday for in-depth uh, comic and movie reviews. We do character spotlights. Uh, we also interview some of the best comic creators in the industry. And we try to share recommendations, entertainment recommendations at that, worthy of everyone's time. So a little bit of, of everything for everyone that loves comic books. Yeah, and I cannot hype up your show enough. I absolutely love the short box. Uh, I, I think it is one of the most well-produced uh, uh, yeah. comic book podcasts out there, period. Every time I listen to your show, I'm like, this sounds like they have crazy funding. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm always so impressed. I mentioned that, too, when we did the uh, uh, the Unite the Seven yeah, crossover, too. The, the promo episode, I was like, I'm always so impressed by your whole setup and and everyone that you have on your show has such a great dynamic and the conversation you, is always you. lively and fun and always engaging. So everyone out there, if you have not listened to the Short Box, a comic podcast, go out, find it, look it up. You will not be disappointed. That means a lot. Thank you so much, Lance. I'm, I'm, I'm glad all the hard work uh, has paid off and I get compliments from fellow uh, comic book podcasts that I respect like yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I am so excited to have you on this episode because we are debuting a brand new format here. We're going to be doing a Crisis on Infinite crossovers seg series. Uh, mm. So every few episodes or so, we're going to be talking about one particular interpublisher issue, story arc, or run. Ooh. Now that could be like, we could be talking about the Amalgam universe. We could talk about the Power Rangers TMNT crossover. And eventually we'll probably get into like the big crossovers with it not within interpublisher but maybe talk about infinity gauntlet or even crisis on infinite earth which this whole premise is kind of based on and i have to give props to first issue club podcast because they're the ones that helped me create the name for this podcast we were i i told them about the premise and i was like i'm still thinking of a name 
And they were like, how about Crisis on Infinite Crossovers? Mm. <laughs> and was immediately like, yes, that's, that's the name of it. So thank you, First Issue Club. Now, in December of 2021, Botter, we got, we got some sad news. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely some news that definitely shook a, a lot of us uh, in the comic book. Um, in the comic book, you know, not only industry, but, you know, fans as well. We got the news that George Perez, um, I believe he, it was the first time he had publicly shared um, the news of, it, of, you know, some troubling health that he's had. And if I'm not mistaken, it, I know it's cancer. I'm not sure what type of cancer. Was it pancreatic? Yeah, yeah. so he has terminal pancreatic cancer. Thanks so much. Uh, well, yeah, he shared the, the dire news that, you know, it is terminal and that, you know, he was expecting or he had a life expectancy of six more months um, as of uh, December. Um, you know, very heavy news to share with, you know, the public and in social media at large. But, you know, in true George Press fa- fashion, I don't know if you've ever met him. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet him a, a few times, um, especially at like mega cons and some local cons. But he's such an outgoing, positive, you know, upbeat, spirited guy. And even, you know, even when he was sharing this very like sad news, you know, you could tell that, you know, he wasn't, you know, um, looking for any, uh, any, any, any sympathy or, or pity at that. I'm sorry, any pity. It was mainly like, hey, look, you know, this is this is where it's at. I'm sharing it with you guys because I, I love the community. I, I, I love the people I work with, my fans. Um, this is just, you know, this is, <laughs> this is what it is at this moment. And, um, you know, I, I think it was more so like I want to celebrate the remaining last, you know, six months that I, that I got with the people that I love. And, you know, it was, it was rough, man. It wasn't, you know, as much as you're like, dang, this is one hell of a guy, right? Like he didn't really make this a sad thing as, as, as much as it sucks, but you know, for people that who grew up on his stuff, it's still like, it's still rough. And, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's weird, right? It's like, he isn't gone. So it's like, well, I can't be sad because he's still here. He's still like, you know, he's still upbeat as far as what we can see. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like a looming thing now. Like, as I, I was, as I was reading this, I'm like, damn, this dude that I have loved, like he was one of the, you know, he's to me, the most premier Avengers artist that I, you know, he's the reason I got into Avengers. Like, yeah you know, he's not going to be around here in the next year. And that, that bums me out at times, man. Uh, but I guess all we can like look forward to is just sharing the praise and, you know, admiring what he's done now, like giving him his flowers now, I think is a great opportunity. Like it's a very uh, interesting position for him to be in, to be like alive and around to get the accolades and hear like what he means to people. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it, it's so fun because there is a, a Facebook page that is dedicated to him and there's constant updates from, uh, from family that are posting about it. And he, so he's posting pictures of going out to dinners with like Marv Wolfman, a, a that, like yeah. co-creator. And he's, he's seeing all of his fans. And uh, a few years ago, he had announced that before he had announced that uh, he had terminal pancreatic cancer, he had stopped doing cons. Yep. And so he did his final circuit. And that's, I, sadly, I never got to meet him in person, but I've been able to have friends that were going to that con. And so I was able to give them books to get signed by him. So luckily I do have a few signed books by Perez in my collection that I will cherish will cherish for the rest of my life. You're right. He's like so upbeat and those, I would strongly suggest looking up like that Facebook page. And there's also other accounts on Twitter too and other social media that are kind of talking about what he's been up to, what he's doing mm-hmm. daily. Uh, he even like had a resurgence of energy. And so he did a, uh, like a cosplay meet and greet with all of his fans where he went and took pictures and signed autographs. And so he, he definitely is, is enjoying 
like spending time with the people that appreciate the work that he's done over the years. And in, in part of that, what we're going to be doing with every single episode of crisis on infinite earth is going or crisis on infinite uh, crossovers will, all of them will be dedicated to the honor of Mr. Perez. Uh, we will be dedicating them to his life, his legacy uh, from now until we <laughs> stop doing this podcast, if that ever happens. So that that's just the little thing that we're going to try and do to to honor this amazing creator that's meant so much to us. Good stuff. Now, now, Bader, do you remember your first exposure to Perez's work, or if you have a favorite comic or series by him? Oh yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, so so real quick on the topic of, of JLA and Avengers, I know we'll get deep into it soon, but it I, th- I believe issue two was one of the first comic books my dad ever gave me from my personal collection. Like, oh, so you know, cool. after I stopped reading, uh, you know, you know, ripping up and, and tearing up and taking poor uh, uh, care of his books. And I started buying my own. Uh, this was one of the first ones he had bought me. So, you know, issue two just really sticks out in my mind. And it's something that I value a lot. But I think my first real conscious exposure of like, oh, this is a guy named George Perez. I've seen his artwork everywhere else uh, was his Avengers run with. um I want to say it's Marv Wolfman as well, but uh, like the mid Avengers series from like the eighties, like issues one seventy and that kind of whole chunk there. Um, But that was kind of like my first real uh, conscious exposure was buying those early Avengers stuff because I loved Avengers when I first got into comic books. And to me, he drew some of the best, like he draws the best version of Captain America and and Wanda Mm -hmm. and and Vision. So I was like heavy into buying those back issues um, when I was had my own money. So. I'd say that uh, his Avengers run from the 80s. I think it's funny because my first time seeing, like I didn't know JLA Avengers existed for a Mm. long time. And then I ran into it and it was issue two that I found first in a comic (laughs) shop. And it was a beat up copy, but I didn't care because I was like, wait, there's a crossover between Marvel and DC. This is amazing. So it's... For some yeah. reason, I, I remember thinking like it had to be fake. I was like, this has got to be like a bootleg comic or something. <laughs> um, you know, and I only had like issue two. And uh, it, it took me a while to find like understand. There was like, oh, every other issue, it alternated names from JLA Avengers to Avengers JLA and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And that was because uh, I believe it was DC that published issues one and three. Yep. And Marvel did two and four. And so when each of them was publishing that issue, they would put the title from their specific uh, series in the front. So DC yeah. put JLA Avengers, Marvel put Avengers JLA. Yep. And um, I'm, I, I'm a, uh, I want to slightly go back and, and change it because I, I looked up real quick the issue number, but uh, it was his Avengers run from the late 70s, so around like 77 through like 1980. And it was David Michelini. Or I was saying the name wrong oof. probably. But uh, yeah. uh, around that run, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking through like the covers right now. I'm like, damn, like uh, George Perez is so good at drawing Avengers. It's so good. He's incredible. His splash pages. We're going to get into it because this JLA Avengers run has some of the greatest splash pages For sure. he, yeah. he has ever done. Oh, so good. So if you haven't caught it by now, we are talking the JLA Avengers crossover. And let's kind of get into the history of how this even became a thing. Crisis. 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 On Infinite Crossovers. In 1979, Marvel and DC planned to co-publish a crossover series written by Jerry Conway and illustrated by George Perez. 
The plot of the original crossover was a time travel story involving Marvel's Kang the Conqueror and DC's Lord of Time, which is hilarious because in what we actually ended up getting in JLA Avengers, they actually have a panel where it's the two of them together. So so Perez was still able to sneak that kind of storyline in there, which is hilarious. Uh, Roy Thomas was hired to script the book based on Conway's plot. Work began on the series in 1981, with Perez having penciled 21 pages by mid-1983. Unfortunately, editorial disputes occurred involving the Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter, resulting in the shelving of the original crossover. Now, I'm sure you're going to be upset, just as I was upset about this next part, which is the fact that because of this fallout between Marvel and DC, they completely shelved the uh, planned sequel to the 1982 crossover issue, The Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans, which was going to be done by Chris Claremont and Walt Simonson. Have you have you read that first crossover? No, and and I've and I've either had it in my hand a few times. I've had friends who have owned it. Um, and I honestly, after reading, because uh, I went down that same rabbit hole, learning about that original abandoned uh, plot. Um, and really kind of like the history of of Marvel and DC crossovers. And apparently, I guess that was like one of the more popular ones. You know, uh, at the time, X-Men was at its height. And, you know, Teen Titans was created because of the response to X-Men uh, for DC. So um, I know that book is is highly cherished. It's it's praised a lot. Um, and honestly, that's going to be next up on my reading list. But to learn that, you know, a sequel was planned because of how popular that first one was, it's like, Oh dang it, man! Like, uh, of course, editorial like beef had to uh, uh, like, you know, deaded this great uh, idea. Have Have you ever read the first one? I yeah, I own it. Oh, nice! Is it as good as as I imagine it is? Oh, it's so much fun. Ooh. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's a blast. Uh, the the art is spectacular. The cover the covers are wrap around, and it like the f- the first time I found it too, another like low grade copy. I didn't care. It was like another Marvel DC crossover. It just looks stunning and beautiful and you got phoenix on there you got some dark side it's it is one of the best like experiences if you're just like a comics fan like marvel dc and you see that book together i'm also a sucker for anything teen titans because that's kind of my go-to dc team i love them and so anything they're a part of same thing with x-men x-men is probably my favorite team in in marvel as well so that crossover was kind of written and drawn for me specifically i feel like <laughs> and as walt simonson like you know this is 82 when that book came out so you know walt simonson's at the top of his game and terry austin is, is helping him out on the artwork too yeah it's unbelievable after this fallout we have a fast forward to 2002 where marvel and dc finally once again agreed to have an interpublisher crossover with a new story written by kurt busiek and is that how you pronounce his name I, <laughs> kurt busiek like- if, if there's any fans of the short box listening right now, they know I'm not the guy to ask when it comes <laughs> to pronouncing names. I always say Busiek, but I think it is Busiek. Okay, Busiek. And he was the then writer for Avengers at that time. And then the story was also going to be illustrated once again by George Perez. Mark Wade was the then writer of JLA who was intended to help out with writing the crossover, but he was unable to uh, participate because he had a commitment with the company CrossGen. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, George Perez also had a commitment with, yep. with CrossGen, but it had it in his like clause that he had a clause. Yeah. He's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm George Perez. And the world was happy because George <laughs> Perez could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. I think specifically that, that clause was like, should JLA Avengers ever come back to fruition? I can draw that. 
because I because I, I know um it's to kind of backtrack a little bit. I know in that original proposal, you know the uh, the twenty one pages that he did. Um, when was that? Eighty one? You said yeah, eighty one. Yeah, yeah, he yeah started in eighty one. He was looking forward to that. He really wanted to to draw that series back when that original proposal happened, and he was pretty upset that you know he draws twenty one pages and the editorial couldn't get their you know couldn't get their shit together to uh, uh to get the story out. So that was always something, um, and I know uh, Jim Shooter was the the editor in chief during that time, and that actually caused some friction between him and the editors over at Marvel, specifically Jim Shooter. So it, it doesn't surprise me that you know this kind of maybe once in a lifetime opportunity that uh, that George Perez would be like, you know what, I have a feeling that this isn't completely dead in the water. So let me add this little random clause <laughs> to my contract, right, just in case. Oh, thank you, George Perez, for doing that. We truly appreciate it. Uh Yes. This crossover was originally intended to occur within the main respective titles of both JLA and Avengers. But again, Marvel and DC couldn't come up with uh, like a balancing act of how that would work out. So they ended up just having them be printed as if they were like kind of part of their own separate event, not within Mm -hmm. the main titles. And so again, like we had mentioned before, issues one and three would be printed by DC and two and four would be printed by Marvel. The series was reprinted by DC comics in 2004 as a two volume collector's edition hardcover, uh, which was the first time that we got to see the original pages that Perez penciled for the original storyline back all the way back in 1983. Yeah. And, and they look good. I've, I've seen a few scans online. Um, and, and, you know, it's like George Perez at his prime, right? Like early 80s, like, you know, he's, he's doing fresh off Avengers, I think probably doing Teen Titans. Um, good looking stuff even back then. Be- absolutely beautiful. And then that hardcover was released as a trade paper back in November of 2008. And Butter, do you want to talk about how infuriating <laughs> it is that it's so hard to afford these? Look, I, I think we were talking uh, before we hit uh, uh, record that, it aggravates me so much that the only listing for that hardcover, which I would absolutely love to own, specifically because it's it's a two um it's two hardcovers, right? It's yes. the main story, like uh, the four issues of JLA Avengers, and then that second hardcover is like all the bonus stuff. So, which includes those twenty one pages of unreleased art. Um, I would love to own those, but the only listing that uh, popped up on eBay this morning when I checked, you know, is the same. $500 one with the bent corner. Um, and honestly, I forgot that the, the, the trade, there was a trade for it too. I honestly, I've never seen that one out in the wild neither. Yeah. Um, no. and I'm sure the prices for that are what pretty, pretty expensive, right? Lance. Yeah. So the trade paperback has been selling like on eBay between a hundred and 130 mm. and then hardcover sales over like the past few that have actually sold are between 200 and 500. Ooh. If you see one listed for 200, you might want to snag it. that, yeah, it. snag it because you ain't getting another shot. <laughs> As of this year, 2022, it is still JLA Avengers is still the most recent crossover between Marvel and DC. Isn't that wild? It's like, nuts, right? That was the last time these two companies have ever teamed up for a book. And then you consider, and I mean, you know, with, with the series kind of touching on uh, um, cross-pollination within the companies, like you look at DC, Batman TMNT, huge, right? Well-loved. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Green Lantern. I think I've seen a Green Lantern Star Trek crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel, I, those crossovers don't quite come to mind, but I wouldn't be surprised if they've teamed up with other properties. But it's like, 
come on guys like let's let's get this worked out together um i had seen a, a tweet by kurt uh, abusiak a few i want to say over december because you know when, when the news of george press came out a lot of folks were like oh my god you know, not to sound selfish, but does this mean that we can finally get a reprint of JLA Avengers, please? And I was among them. I won't lie. I was shamefully among them. Like, please. Reprint we're, all, we're all there just retweeting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I know um, there was someone that was like, oh, they'll, it'll, they'll never team up again because uh, DC was mad about the story or Marvel was upset about how things transpired that story. And Kurt was like, look, that's not the case. They both approved the story. It's mainly because of something. Uh, he had a few reasons. One of them was like something Joe Quesada had said about DC that kind of irked them. And then when um, Disney bought Marvel, it kind of put, you know, it really put uh, a focus yeah. on, like the competition became mm-hmm. real. Now, like we're yeah. talking like big businesses having to figure out how to cross pollinate and, and share IPs. So it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Uh, but I'll say this was the last official crossover just because uh, some creators writers artists uh, tend to sneak some things into their comic books mm. uh, one that came to mind was just in donny cates's uh run i believe uh for uh was it uh, i think it was during the king in black run that he snuck in a part where like all the universes are being destroyed type of thing because noel was coming and in one of those worlds you see all these streaking um colors and it's all the colors of the jla mm. And it, it's just it's just really fun. So he like throwing those things in there. So the creators want the crossovers. They want to tell these stories because they're fans of both. Absolutely. But th- their hands are tied right now. And I like they have to know full on well that every single person that goes to a comic shop weekly is going to buy the next Marvel DC crossover. Like, are you that book, like that I was would, a bonkers crazy? I would. I mean, to this day, I don't buy. I'm not one of these types to buy like every cover. Of a, you know of a book, but I would buy every cover possible. Yes. Like imagine the 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 variant covers, like especially variant covers being this big now, it would be an insane marketing ploy. Um, and Lance, I want to I want to uh, shoehorn this in, you know, on the topic of trying to afford these. Um, <laughs> I was trying to remember the last time because I know I had recently bought a complete set of of issues one through four, mm-hmm. and I thought it was like within the last two years. Wrong. I I bought. A complete set of JLA Avengers one through four and basically like near mint condition back in June 2014 for 20 bucks. I only That's awesome. I, was, I was the only person to bid on this lot and I got it for <laughs> 20 bucks. I think it I think I there's no way you could probably find those issues for that price now. Yeah, I I got lucky and I'm not kidding. I I so it was uh so the four issues and I went to one of my local shops and this was when I after I had like gone off to my I think it was like first year of college came back was more into comics went to a local shop and uh, I was in the section and I found all four issues and I think for some reason they were doing like a buy four get one free or buy three get the fourth free that day so I only spent like 15 bucks and they are minty fresh nice Uh, and my uh, JLA Avengers issue four which is the issue where Superman's holding mm-hmm. Cap Shield and Mjolnir is one of those issues that I had signed by Perez. Nice. That you mean uh, Endgame before Endgame, like a very Endgame level moment before Endgame. Exactly, one hundred percent. All right. So why don't we actually get into the storyline of the series? Do you want to hit everyone with the plot butter? Yeah. So this is kind of like th- this story is your classic. 
you know, uh, multiverse mumbo jumbo kind of uh, uh, convoluted. It's, it's, it's a, not almost say convoluted because it's Kurt uh, Busiek, one of my favorite, if not favorite comic book writers ever. It's just a lot going on, right? And when you're dealing so with the much. multiverse, I always feel like sometimes it, you need a pen and pencil to make sure you're keeping track of everything. So I'll try to do my best here. Uh, but it, it centers around a, a new villain that shows up. And his name is, let me pull it up here. His name is Krona. Uh, he turns out to be an exiled Owen. So one of the uh, Guardian, the same race as the Guardians in Green Lantern. Now, Krona has traveled across many multiverses and destroying universes along the way, seeking the truth of creation. That is probably one of my, my minor gripes is that you don't really understand exactly why he wants to learn about the truth of creation or what that yeah. means to him. But he is hungry for this answer and he's destroying planets along his way. I believe in in the opening issues he destroys like a the an antimatter universe and then the um what's the evil uh Justice League um yeah the syndicate. Uh, crime syndicate crime syndicate thank you so much and he also destroys the universe with for uh with the crime syndicate uh eventually he arrives in the Marvel universe and meets the Grand Master now the Grand Master doesn't want his universe destroyed so he propose so he does what he does best and he proposes that they play a game and the game is quite simple. If Krona wins, the Grandmaster will lead him to Galactus because Grandmaster knows Galactus is a being who has witnessed creation and could probably uh, answer this guy's uh, question, right? But if he loses, Krona uh, has to spare uh, Grandmaster's universe and just leave. Now, they decide to uh, make it a little interesting, this game here. Instead of Grandmaster picking the Avengers for his universe, uh, you know, selecting the champions of his universe, the Avengers, and Krona doing the same, which would be the JLA. They decide to swap players. So Krona, Krona's team is the Avengers, and then Grandmaster's team is the JLA. So really, in order for this to really work out for the good guys, the JLA has to win, and the Avengers need to lose. So after they pick their players, they next have, essentially the game is that they have to, it's like an Easter egg. They have to find like these, uh, the greatest MacGuffins in comic book, in, in the big two at least, and comic books, you know, uh, they're sent on an Easter egg hunt to find uh, items of power like the Green Lantern power uh, battery, the Orb of Ra, the Book of Eternity. Uh, and then on the Marvel side, you got things like the artifacts like the Ultimate Nullifier, uh, the Evil Eye of Avalon, of course, the Infinity Gems, the, the Cosmic Cube, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's kind of at a high yeah. level. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, back and forth. Uh, both teams travel between universes. They find these artifacts, fight a little bit. Eventually, they come to the conclusion, we're being played. And then things go a little a little haywire from there. Yes, uh, that's a very good analysis of what this whole storyline is going to be. So we're talking cosmic scale, potential destruction of both Marvel and DC universes on the line. And of course, it has to be a, a game played between the Grandmaster and Krona. <laughs> that sounds perfectly yeah. correct. Now, each one of these issues uh, has the, so JLA Avengers, issue one, has the subtitle of A Journey Into Mystery. Each one of these issues has a very strong connected subtitle involving one of either Marvel or DC. So th this one, of course, is related to where we see Thor for the first time. So A Journey Into Mystery. Now, just like what Botter said, it starts out with the, with the destruction of multiple worlds. We have to say goodbye to the crime syndicate very quickly. Then we have Grandmaster meeting up with Krona. And then after that initial encounter, when they kind of set up the kind of the rules for this game, we are shown the JLA fighting Marvel's Terminus. Mm. And, and uh, so we have obviously amazing splash pages all the way at the start from the incredible George Perez. 
uh, the standout to me from this part was the fact that the flash threw concrete at Terminus at 600 miles an hour. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I feel like flash in this whole series is, is a standout like character. Like some of his moments are, are just some of my favorite. Um, like even like even moments where maybe they don't play too well in his favor, like learning that there is no speed force in the Marvel universe. So he's kind of useless. <laughs> <laughs> Which really sucks, but uh, anytime he rate like, and then there's moments where like he gets to shine, right? Where he's just making Quicksilver look like a, a tortoise. Like I, I love anytime Quicksilver gets to play around in this. And um, and I'll say in, in regards to like these opening shots, but you know, so you have Terminus fighting the JLA, and then of course, you know, if we're gonna swap villains, uh, the Avengers are fighting Starro. I loved it. Which I won't lie, ever since the uh, the Suicide Squad movie, seeing Starro. I think this might be the first comic I've read with Starro since watching the the latest Suicide Squad movie. I just look at Starro so differently. Same. And you know, like a bunch of these uh, Avengers, like She-Hulk, for example, is being controlled by a Starro. And I think event, like Quicksilver gets one on his face. I'm like, oh my God, if they own it. Like, ah, I, like the imagery from Suicide Squad is, is popping up as I'm reading this. Yeah, it is. I had the same exact experience. I was like, yes, Starro's there. Whereas <laughs> before the Suicide Squad, I'd be like, oh, Starro. <laughs> yeah. But, oh. Loved it so much. And then we get all these different panels after both of the teams defeat their first enemy from the opposite universe. We see uh, Lobo showing up in the Marvel universe. We see Scrolls and the Brood attacking the DC universe. And then we learn that Janet Van Dyme's Wasp is trying to figure out what in the world is going on with all these invaders into their into their universe. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of jumps back to the DC universe where Wally uses the speed force on a piece of Terminus. And he causes the vibration to then jump into the Speed Force and actually land into the Marvel Universe, where he is promptly beaten (laughs) by the people of the Marvel Universe because they believe he is a mutant. And like you said, he no longer has access to the Speed Force because it doesn't exist in the Marvel Universe. And boy, is Wally pissed. I mean, granted, I I completely understand why I'd be pissed, too, but he is really pissed about that that welcoming committee that he got you know he goes back to the avengers like man that universe sucks like they they beat their heroes can you believe that and off the bat it's kind of interesting to see that kind of dichotomy between the two uh universes and the way the heroes expect to be treated you know wally is like just like shocked that he could be treated in such a way yeah, they they do a great job of talking about how mm. the DC universe honors their heroes. The Marvel universe kind of because of mutants, they like heroes are just like kind of looked down upon in many ways or mistreated. And there's there's this like like you said, there's a strong dichotomy between the two worlds and how they treat their heroes. And super like a lot of things are going to come up between Superman and Captain America in the storyline where they are arguing back and forth about kind of their respected worlds and what things mean and what's actually important which is which is cool right it's like outside of of highlighting you know the the physical um uh differences between the 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 two teams right outside of like the characteristics or or their power sets but we're also and and that kind of goes to how kind of a genius kurt is at kurt buzak as is at writing is that he also is showing us and highlighting the differences and outside of the heroes, but like their their universe, right? We learned that you know the the DC world itself or Earth uh, is bigger than the Marvel universe, right? 
or the Marvel Earth. But Metropolis isn't in Marvel. It's just like an empty, you know, highway lot. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, those are pretty th- cool things to highlight to really kind of get down into, hey, these are different planets, you know, not just outside of the heroes that inhabit them, but like structurally and, and the way they're made as well. Yes. And then in the storyline, we have Grandmaster. He shows up at the DC's Watchtower, at DC's Watchtower to tell the JLA kind of what's going on, what the kind of the rules of this game are going to be. And while he's doing that, the JLA freak out because because we have the Watcher literally being a creeper <laughs> staring at them from the outside of the Watchtower, which is hilarious. Uh, and then we ha- learned about these 12 specific items of immense power that, and six from each universe that these heroes need to find. And so from the DC universe, these items are going to be the Eternity Book, the Orb of Ra, Green Lantern's Power Battery, Spear of Destiny, Medusa's Mask, and the Bell, Wheel, and the Jar. How many of these were you familiar with? Because I will say, as far as like artifacts in the D- or pow- items of power and artifacts in the DC universe, uh, you know, my knowledge there is a little weak. So I, I only really knew like the, of course, the Power Battery the um i believe the orb of ra i've seen but like other items like the bell wheel and jar wasn't too familiar with or the spear of destiny i, I knew the spear of destiny but you're the same thing with the other ones like i had no clue what medusa's mask was i had absolutely no clue what the bell wheel and the jar were so i was reading this and i was like i feel like these items today would have been greatly updated and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second about the items from the marvel universe but those items in, at marvel would be a hundred percent different today well said. like just because the soul gems counts as one of the big items for Marvel's world. Well, actually, I, I take it back. I am familiar with Medusa's mask because I believe that is the mask for Psycho Pirate. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I was learning a bunch of stuff when I was reading through this thing again. <laughs> yeah. <same. laughs> so we have Wally who decides to send the entire JLA to the Marvel Universe, but he's basically like, I'm not going. I don't have power there, but I'm sending you. Uh, and as soon as they land, Superman has a serious gripe with that entire world. Dude, he is so salty. Him and Captain America are super salty this entire series. Of course, you learn like them being in, in each other's uh, outside of their universe has affected them personality, which I thought was a little weird. Like the yeah. personality is on like they're more on edge. They're saying things they don't mean. Uh, but Superman is kind of a douche like uh, this entire oh, yeah. series. Absolutely. They're supposed to be, they're the characters that are very grounded in their world. And so they're supposed to feel like something is wrong, but it just translated to them just both being jerks <laughs> the entire time. It's like, this is not really how Superman acts at all. And yeah, it's weird. Yeah, Superman essentially says, man, this place is a shithole. And it's like, hey, man, come on, come on. We're, we're doing our best here. All right. Yeah. You're like this. He's like, this heroes here suck. They're the worst. <laughs> like we could do so much better. It, it was like, this is not Superman at all. This is weird. But it, it like, I still enjoyed it when I was reading yeah. it. It's so weird though. Uh, so JLA shows up in the Marvel universe. They immediately fight Fing Fang Foom and a few other monsters. And they are able to uh, retrieve the ultimate nullifier, which is one of the items from the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Avengers show up, try to retrieve it, and are surprised the fact that the Wonder Woman is extremely fast and was able to grab it back from them. The Marvel heroes are able to send the JLA back to their own respective universe. Then we are introduced to DC's Metron, who is a new god created by Jack Kirby based on Leonard Nimoy's Spock from Star Trek. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, wow. Metron informs the Avengers of what's going on and tells them the items that they need to find, including the ultimate nullifier. 
the Wand of Watum, the Cosmic Cube, the Evil Eye, the Casket of Ancient Winters, and the Soul Gems. Mm. See, I knew, I knew, I was familiar with a lot more of those. Because, um, you know, who doesn't love a good Soul Gem or an ult- Ultimate Nullifier? But the Evil Eye was, was, one, was a new one for me. Same. I had no idea what the casket of ancient winters was either. I was like, keep that shit closed. You're like, that sounds like a Thor thing. (laughs) That sounds sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And then out of nowhere, Iron Man gets a mother box, which gives him basically all these upgrades and he's able to teleport the Avengers to different places. That's pretty cool. Like I, I loved that, you know, just those small moments, you know, there's a lot of big moments in this, in these four issues to highlight, but I love those small moments of like, you know, uh, interjecting two different things together, like Iron yes. Man and the mother box. Mm-hmm. And then like Iron Man is so impressed by it. Like, it's almost like he becomes like, uh, you know, kind of obsessed with it. He's like, what else can this thing do? Oh my God. It's telling me all this information. It's great. Uh huh. It's, it's really cool. And uh, there's a lot of moments like that throughout that we'll get to as well. I, I also think the mother box should have been one of the items from the DC universe. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, as soon as that happened, I was like, wait, why is why are we getting like what's what's up with the Spear of Destiny or Medusa's mask and not a mother box as far as being <laughs> one of these big ones? But I understand if they wanted to give it to Iron Man to basically give them a way of teleporting in and out because the JLA has Flash that's sending them all over the place. So now the Avengers have uh, Iron Man that's able to do that. And then later Wanda is able to as well. And then in this so in this storyline, the after Iron Man gets some other box, they are then able to transport themselves over to the DC universe, where at the end of issue one, they immediately square off with the JLA. Uh, Thor throws his hammer at Superman's head, throws him into a building, and then kind of chaos and hell ensue. And talking about a splash page, like a splash page where, uh, where you know, it's just straight Thor's hammer hitting Superman and it knocks the crap out of him. I love it. Great splash page. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And I think that splash page is only beaten by the first splash page of issue oh, two. Uh, at the beginning of issue two, we find out a little bit more about Krona, that he was an exiled, uh, is, is an exiled uh, like grandmaster from the Oa. And uh, he was basically uh, cast out, supposed to like take away his body, but he has a body in the storyline. So I was kind of confused why they said... Dang. Yeah, they're like, we don't we don't believe in the death penalty or killing you, but we're going to take away your body. But then he has a body. And how cool is this? Like, you know, uh, it, you know, once again, like, I, I feel like Kurt did such a good job laying this plot out almost like a puzzle and making sure like a lot of the pieces fit. But like um, Krona becomes obsessed with like, you know, what is what is the truth about creation? Because he's essentially viewing a hand coming out of like, well, oh, I'm sorry, he manages to what what he's he's obsessed with like some footage he found of a universe being created and he sees a hand coming out of it. And he's like, Oh my God, what's, what really is responsible for creation and things. And then I think you later on, you learn he's essentially just watching Galactus's hand, right? Or something. I, I, I think it's a eternity's hand. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But yeah, to your point, you know, his pursuit of knowledge is very dangerous because he's like destroying universes. He's kind of putting a lot of people at risk and he is uh, sentenced to losing his form and he's just kind of pure energy at this point but mm-hmm. that doesn't stop him from still causing a lot of trouble as energy and, and being sentient and regaining his body issue two the subtitle for this one is a contest of champions which is very fitting because the yeah. first splash page is beautiful i am obsessed with everything going on here we have batman 
kind of trying to do a cool um, like street fighter kick and he just goes straight up through vision and his face is like, what? What's happening? There's, there's so much going on. Like Aquaman's punching Iron Man in the face. And then you got Superman and Martian Manhunter like teaming up to knock out Thor. Um, Mm -hmm. I I love the side panel. So you got like that main big slash page of, you know, all out brawl. But then you got like this this kind of one on one between Flash and Hawkeye and Hawkeye trying the old boomerang arrow trick, thinking that he's showing Flash something completely new. He don't know what to expect, but little does he know. Flash has, has got, a, you know, he's had some experiences with boomerang arrows. <laughs> so good. Uh, and so after all of this chaos that's going on, we have a square off between Batman and Captain America, which is done beautifully. And tastefully, and very tastefully, right? It's like they knew, look, we can't have Captain America kick Batman's ass, like, you know, too easy. And mm-hmm. I, I love that they both kind of came to an agreement, like, look, we're pretty much evenly matched, but we're also way smarter than this. Yes. And so <laughs> at that point, uh, they decide that they're going to kind of figure out what the heck is actually going on with all of this crossover and all, all these people from each other's universes coming over. And so they kind of sneak, sneak off to the shadows and do their own side story pretty much throughout the remainder of this book until the end. And it's when they're in, when the Avengers are in this world that during the fight that Scarlet Witch realizes that the chaos magic of the DC universe is different, but it's actually more powerful for her to use. And she just immediately goes ham on everyone and everything to the point where they it basically stops the fight altogether at that point and everyone's like what the world just happened and the dc heroes are just like was that one of them that just did that yeah completely impressed and shocked and and just kind of thrown away and lance i I don't know from if, if you had started to notice this but from just an art perspective um kind of going back a few pages to that uh captain america and batman fight I think this is where you start to see some of George Perez's like flawless layouts in regards to the symmetry you start yes. seeing across the pages. Like, you know, like he, he finds a way to perfectly divide one page into like a Marvel kind of perspective, like a, a Marvel mm-hmm. character perspective section. And then you've got like a DC characters pers- uh, uh, perspective like area. So like, it's just like, well, beautifully drawn at all times. Like he's always managed to kind of work in like a good, symmetrical layout with the Avengers on one side Jay, uh, and the Justice League on the other. It, it's something that you have to like balance so perfectly with these crossovers because each publisher obviously wants their due. You can't have one win over the other. You just can't. And exactly what you're saying is there's there's such a good balance between well the entire series in here. It, it's so good the entire time. That is, I, I didn't even think about it like that. You're right. So like the artwork literally represents this this balance, right? Like this whole, honestly, this whole kind of comic book uh, theme in it is balance. But visually, it's a lot of balance. Like like you said, you've got, man, there's a lot of things to kind of unfold here. From a business perspective, you're right. Like both of these uh, companies are like, look, my character, you know, we want our characters as much face time as possible. We don't want them to look like chumps. You know, how do you walk that delicate line as a writer and artist? And man, I, I, I think I appreciate this a lot more thinking about that sense of of balance going on here. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it just shows like how good that both the both writer and artist are on the series that they give the oh, respect man. to both. 
And, yeah. and I just love that there's, there's some of these moments, there's one particular panel that I'm looking at now, and it's, it's one where Martian Manhunter is connecting with all the other members yeah. of the JSA. And so you have this balance of like the, the regular, like you would see like the blocked out panels on one side, and then you have fewer panels on the, on the right, but then below it, you have this very large Martian Manhunter head, which, mm-hmm. which still balances out the entire page. And, oh, I love it so much. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so moving forward in the storyline, we have both both teams are now starting to find these other items. Uh, we have the uh, Avengers were able to get the Green Lantern battery. And we'll kind of fast forward. We don't need to mention every single one that each of them finds. But we get some really fun interactions and fights. We have Wonder Man and Captain Marvel, or at this time was referred to as Warbird, show up. And we have a fight between them and uh, I think Superman, like Superman and Green Lantern. Yeah. There's just so many cool moments in the storyline. And you move forward and you get to see Hercules and and She-Hulk fight uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And it's two fights essentially on, on one page. Once again, back to that, like playing around with like visual symmetry. You've got, like you just mentioned, this Asgard, this fight that takes place on Asgard between Hercules, She-Hulk, and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. But on the same page, you know, you've got, you know, in Central City at the Flash Museum, Quicksilver, Wanda fighting uh, uh, Hawkman and Blue Beetle and Black Canary. It's like, damn, talk about it. I mean, th- this they could have easily just went one fight, right? Like, and made it a lot easier for George Perez. But um, I know George Perez is... Um, He's always pushed himself and challenged himself to try to draw as many characters. Like he find like the dude is crazy, like in the best way possible, right? Like he enjoys trying to draw as many characters as he can in, in one panel and, and putting as much action and details um, in, in these panels. And I mean, th- this whole yeah, this whole issue just shows it because this is like the the battle heavy um, issue. This is where you see them like hunting down these these items, ar- these artifacts. So you get a good like. Uh, a good cornucopia of it is characters and different mashups and battles going on. Yeah, this this is absolutely a crossover of love from these creators. It, it is fan service in in the best way. I know fan service can sometimes be used to criticize something uh, uh, for just being low hanging fruit, but this to me is just fan service in the best way because it, I mean, let's be real it's it's JLA and Avengers like it's what we've always wanted, right? Like yes. we want this stuff, right? And it feels like Kurt Busiek, uh, Kurt Busiek and, and George Perez were like, look, let's give the people what they want. And and you could just tell they're having so much fun with the pairings and, and the different like, you know, heroes battling each other. It just kind of leaps off the page. Like there's a sense of joy reading this. And, and as a reader, you know, in addition to seeing two of your favorite teams on the same page together, like uh, I, I think their sense of the creator's sense of joy is also just like, you just feel it resonating in these pages. Yeah, there's so much to play with because they have Quicksilver yeah. at the Speed Museum, Speed Force Museum, like <laughs> at the Flash like, Museum. And he's yeah. like, they, they got a whole museum here for speedsters. <laughs> it's like, my universe hates me. They got a museum here. Uh, and, and it's funny because now that Wanda has tapped into the dark, like chaos energy of of the DC universe, she's kind of like, Hey, if I can do this, maybe you can tap into the speed force in this universe, mm-hmm. uh, which he does eventually do later. And then when Hercules is fighting a wonder woman, they, they tie in the mythology behind wonder woman because there, there is also like Hercules, like mythology in that world yeah. as well. So there's a lot of fun that they play just with like in general with those characters, so much to do. 
Uh, and then the storyline jumps back to the Batman Captain America story. And Cap realizes that Batman has lost a partner because he sees Robin's costume in the Batcave, which immediately is going to draw a Cap's memory of Bucky. Mm-hmm. And so there's this there's this nice little like bonding moment that the two of them have, which of course Batman then needs to ruin by saying, "Hey, can we like start focusing <laughs> on like stuff?" <laughs> uh, and and so then we we can kind of jump forward and figure out a little bit more what's going on. The thing brings a like cosmic a time bike uh, to help uh, pass through dimensions right into the Batcave, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like Captain America, look. I invited you as a guest to my bat cave. I don't even let my my butler down here as much as he likes. And you let this big orange rock monster into my spot? What? Oh, it's so good. Uh, and then, so both sides are kind of making their preparations at this point. And then we get to see, I think one of the, one of the coolest things of this crossover is the fact that Steel has made a, uh, like a, component suit like a yeah. uh, for for wally in order to ch- keep like a charge of the speed force while he's in the marvel universe so he can still run fast yeah which i mean come on still 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 is a good guy he, he's the friend that you want right like you he know is. Flash is like, i don't even ask for this thanks buddy yeah steel's amazing he i absolutely steel. like oh i love steel so much he needs he needs more shine and i mean and once again i don't I'm, I'm just gonna hype up the layouts a lot you know throughout this recording but i think we're probably both looking at the same page but look how awesome it is on the left you've got wanda in that meditating kind of uh, a floating stance and on mm-hmm. the right Zatanna mimics that same stance a lot of the same actions are going on right like the avengers are kind of learning how to hone in on these items and, and the different frequencies same thing with the justice league right it's such a well-drawn panel I, th- I think it the way they balance it out and showing that the characters are doing the same thing at the same time is kind of also conveying to the audience is like, if only they understood that they could work together. Well said. Yeah, it does take them a minute to to figure that out. And you know what? And, and I think the visual cue for when they actually learn to figure it out is you stop seeing a lot of this these symmetrical pages going on because now they're actually all in the same panels and, and working together. So good point all these like things are starting to click and the storylines are like, Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. We get to see some really cool things. We get to see red tornado and vision fighting. We start to see uh, Wanda really be taking a physical toll by accessing the chaos force of the DC universe flash and Quicksilver get to have another one of their kind of uh, matchups. And then it jumps back to the Batman cap storyline where they are now able to find the, the area where the grandmaster is. Mm-hmm. And it is such a cool page because it just looks like it's uh, like cosmic Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it's like a giant toy room. And you just they have all of these like uh, models of different characters that are just facing off against each other. So they have like Hulk and Solomon Grundy up against each other. They have Doctor Strange and a Doctor Fate on the same yeah. table. Uh, I think there's I think that's supposed to be the stranger and Raven. Yeah. Like there's so many cool things going on. He's also got some, like a deck of cards with like, what is that? Wolverine on a card, Joker, uh, Uncle Sam and Nick Fury. Yeah. A lot of cool little Easter eggs in here. Yes. there. I don't I'm fairly certain that if both of us were able to spend an entire day to look at every single page and every single panel, we would still miss Easter eggs. Oh, and I think that's what makes this series so so fun, right? It's there's a lot of replayability or rereadability. Sorry, 
um, because you could read it, get the main story, and then you can read it again just to look for the Easter eggs, right? Just the small things. And then you could do another reread just to see how many characters can I count or recognize. And I think that is kind of a Herculean feat in itself to name every single character uh, that shows up. But if I'm not mistaken, I think the deluxe version of the um, the, the trade paper or the hardcover, there's actually um, like an index in the back that mm. shows you, hey, on this page and this panel, these characters showed up. They're from this series. And it's like, oh, my God, that is like just just awesome. Just another reason that we need a reprinting. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Lance. Uh, and so now we kind of jump back and, oh, was this a terrifying panel to turn to? Because we land on the world of Apocalypse. <laughs> Not just Apocalypse, which is already, uh, uh, you know, enough to, to make you turn the other way, but Dark Side with the Infinity Gauntlet. Do you know how many times I've seen this page or just some of these panels shared online as like, you know, on, on fan sites, as, as memes, et cetera. But to reread it, there is a sense of like, oh man what have we landed into and i think uh it's i think even like it's flash no no it's hawkeye that makes the comment like i don't know or something to the effect of like i don't know who this guy is but he reminds me of someone i know and if he's anything like him referring to thanos then we are in some deep crap right now yeah it's oh it's so funny but the dread doesn't last too long because dark side is basically yeah dark side's basically like i can feel the power that are in these gems but they don't work. And yeah. so you learned that the infinity that, that the soul gems in the DC universe don't work like from the Marvel universe don't work yeah. in the DC universe, yep. which actually um, I, I read, I believe the JLA Avengers, this whole, these four, you know, this whole story arc is Canon somewhat. It is. And this is one of the first instances of where we get that, um, that logic that, the, the gems and the Infinity Gauntlet only work within their universe. And this is one of those first instances of that being stated. Um, uh, I believe it was like an official Marvel handbook that refers to this moment here that they explain, hey, you know, the gems only work within their one universe. And then you actually see Jonathan Hickman, both in his Fantastic Four run and his Avengers run, make reference to the gems only working within like uh, their, their, their respective origin universe. Yeah, I oh, I love it. We're going to talk about that at the end too. How it is still canon? Yeah. It's awesome. And so we have a, a dark side with the gauntlet, and then he removes it. And unlike how we have it like a metal gauntlet in the MCU, it's basically just a fabric glove <laughs> with cloth. the sword gems on it. And so he just like takes it off with like it's cloth. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> it looks very strange. Yeah. It, and so now we've kind of culminated into this time where both. Uh, the count is six to five with the with um, the Justice League, JLA, and the Avengers having uh, those items that they're going after. And the last one available is the Cosmic Cube. And so we go out into an all-out brawl between everyone, and it is stunning. And we're still on issue two, right? Like, yeah. God. It, and I mean, and to anyone that um, hasn't seen the original or I've never read the original run, but they were all pristine prestige format so about 48 pages each i think you know they were like very slim um trade paperbacks so it is a lot of pages i think in total the, the story is about 160 pages or a little bit over 160 pages so you're getting a lot of story and art per issue i thought we were on issue three by now but all of this is looking familiar because this was the only issue um 
you know, this was the issue I had for the longest time. And I just remember thinking like, and at that time, you know, when I was collecting, I was really just focused on the action of a comic book. I wanted comic books with a lot of fighting, a lot of action. I was really into Dragon Ball Z and, and fighting. Yes. So it was like the more action in a comic book, the better. And this was like, overdrive for me it was like oh my god the jla and avengers are fighting every panel yeah it is it is ridiculously awesome (laughs) in these fights you get to see green lantern go off against monica rambeau and i thought something that was really cool was is that she absorbs the green lantern energy and then she uses it later it's so cool because yeah and in this moment she's like you know i'm uh no no she got they they met up, or I'm sorry, they faced off, of, I guess, a few pages prior. And this is her coming back like, oh, I'm I'm tuned in into your your uh, energy frequency. Uh, now let's see who's the big boy now. The, and you're right. There, there's so many payoffs that happen. Like first interactions lead to something happening completely different the next time. There's rematches that come back around. Uh, you know, they, they follow up on, on jokes or things they might have said. And I love that they switch up like uh, um, the, the bounce, right? Like you've got... Now you've got Wonder Woman fighting Wonder Man. You've got Blue Beetle against uh, uh, Black Panther. Which was so cool. Yeah. It's like, you know, and and they, they play it. And once again, that sense of balance, you know, like Green Lantern had defeated Captain Marvel a few pages back. Well, now they're flipping the table, right? And they do that quite a bit. Yeah. And then we get to see Superman able to stop Mjolnir with his bare hand, which completely throws Thor off. And then we get this really, I just love this line. Because uh, Superman's like, sorry to disappoint, but in my world, it looks like the dials go up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in, re- in response, which, I mean, if you look at the number, it's like, well, you skip two. But like, that's in response to Thor being flabbergasted that anyone could like catch Mjolnir as easy as he is. And he says something, uh, Odin's beard, how can you? The mightiest, the mightiest of nine worlds cannot. And I'm sure he meant to say can't even hold yeah. this with his hammer and to your point superman hits him with that <laughs> well it turns out my world goes up to 11 it's like a is a spinal tap reference is that what that is <laughs> so funny and, and i just love the fact that after superman number. right and, and superman beats thor and then the rest of the marvel heroes are just what? like what you can't do that to thor and then all of them just pounce on superman they are disrespected on behalf of of thor like wonder man is is like what is going on thor i'm sorry iron man is confused uh herky like the them just teaming up on superman to give him a can of whoop ass is ridiculous on behalf of their fallen brethren thor right Mm -hmm. yeah it is ridiculous uh and then we have uh, kyle rayner green lantern kind of jumping towards the cosmic cube and then because his energy has kind of been a little bit drained i feel like from Monica Rambeau, he starts to kind of absorb the power of the cosmic cube and it turns him like this chrome color, yeah. which, which actually looks really cool. So it's kind of like a pre white lantern. Ah, good point. Yeah. Stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. And then at that point uh, we have the uh, grandmaster and uh, Krona show up and basically are like, Oh, it looks like the, like the Marvel heroes have won. Because Quicksilver is able to grab the Cosmic Cube, but then Cap Shield comes out of nowhere, knocks the cube out of Quicksilver's hands, and Batman grabs it, having DC Universe win. 
Yeah, because it would have been it would have been a draw had Quicksilver been able to like get a hold of it. But uh, you know, Captain America was here to help the Justice League win because he he knew what the real score was. Hey, we need to lose if we're mm-hmm. going to keep our universe. Exactly. So we needed the JLA to win because that was Grandmaster's team, and mm-hmm. so they they win, and then basically Grandmaster says, "All right, you got to bounce. Like, leave our universes alone." <laughs> and Krona's like, "Uh, no, this is issue two. We're not stopping it." <laughs> <laughs> that is what, yeah that was, actually i wouldn't have been surprised if he said something like that because this, this kind of work is so meta to me him breaking the fourth wall would have been really funny yeah and and at that point krona looks into the mind of the grandmaster and just wrecks him he is down for the count for quite a while and he learns that it's galactus that was the one that was there at the beginning of creation mm-hmm. and so krona summons galactus and basically rips him apart in order to find the answers that he's looking for. Which is crazy, right? That this character that you've never heard about, this uh, the character Krona, which I believe this is his first appearance, like his power, like you can never really get a, uh, you can't tap into his his power level, you know, for lack of better terms. It just seems like every issue, he does something beyond what you thought his power level was at. And I, I now, granted, he does get more powerful. I think towards issue three and four, you're like, God, how yeah. strong he, can he be? He's but a DPC this, character. He's yeah, like, this right. isn't even like, my final form. It's like, how much more power do you got? But this this whole scene, right? Like him, uh, you know, um, him backstabbing Grandmaster and then summoning Galactus, who's like, what's going on? I, why am I getting pulled into this? And then for him to so effortlessly destroy Galactus was definitely a moment for me, too. It's like, man. You thought that battle against the JLA and Avengers was like the peak of it. But then this comes along and you're like, man, they, they, it's just moment after moment of like, you know, they seem to push the envelope on, on how much rad stuff they're going to do. Right. Yeah. And, and at this point is when all of those, all 12 of those items of power are collected and Grandmaster uses them all against Krona, which you event, which you then learn was kind of the plan all along. Mm-hmm. Was that Grandmaster wanted to basically seal Krona away so he wouldn't destroy both universes? Yeah, it was like a last ditch effort play. I mean, he's like, look, if he kills Galactus, he's going to only get more powerful and destroy the universe. I, I got to figure something out. And why not use these 12 MacGuffins that are mm-hmm. used in every story? And, and at that point, we see everything kind of swirl around, go black and white. And then the uh, that's the end of book two. And just so we can kind of move a little bit quicker with the storyline, because we could talk about these comics forever. We're only at the halfway mark, right? It's like, right? yeah. There's so much has yet yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you know a little bit more about the wall than me, because I know this is a thing in DC. Issue three starts with them at the wall, and it's just all of these like beings that are shown in huge perspective that are blocking something on the other side. And I've read storylines with it before, but I always forget what it's about. Do you remember? I want to say it is, it's essentially like the edge of the universe and, and beyond the wall, like the wall is meant to protect the universe from like the, uh, like the existence or the energy of like the, the universe itself. And beyond it is like nothing but, but energy or cosmic energy. And if you could tap into the wall, uh, you can get a lot of power, blah, blah, blah. But it's meant to like literally be a wall between the existing universe and like everything else. Okay, that works for me. And we get to see that Doom apparently tried to get through the wall, and now he is a part of it. Yeah, Um, and I guess just to kind of step in and help you out here too, because issue three, and here's the thing, I thought I had 
read the entire sto- the series when I first got it, but I guess not because a lot of issue three was new to me because I was like, wait, wait, Doctor Doom was in this? Mm-hmm. But issue three is essentially showing you the um uh, the situation they're now in with Krona having um, used the power of the 12 artifacts. His last ditch effort to keep Krona from destroying both universes, or at least the Marvel universe, was to merge both universes together and to trap Krona in the, the center of it. Because yes. he figured if if Krona is attached to this universe that I'm creating, he won't destroy it because the stakes are like he'd, he'd also be destroying himself. Little does he know, Krona don't give a shit. All right, He is after the secret of creation and he is a madman. But you're, what you're seeing now is uh, these instances where like things from the DC universe are merged into the, the Marvel universe and vice versa. Like um, a few panels in, uh, Hawkeye is part of the Justice League team. And in the Justice League uh, um, uh, headquarters, they've got a, a poster or picture of the Avengers summoning the JLU. And it's supposed to be like a, um, an homage to the classic cover of, I want to say the it's a Justice League cover or Justice Society cover where they're sitting in front of the um, this uh, like a magic eight ball or a, a magic orb. And mm-hmm. it shows like the, the JLA, but it's supposed to be an homage to the first time that the justice league team of the justice society. So you're seeing a lot of instances of, of these uh, worlds merging together um, in issue three. And you also learn that because these universes aren't perfectly, or these worlds aren't perfectly matched, it's also causing a lot of havoc as far as uh, um, uh, climate, uh, you know, extreme climate, um, uh, worlds kind of destroying themselves because they don't exist in one and vice versa. So it's just straight chaos in this issue. Like you're learning, like this is not a good idea uh, what Grandmaster did. And if we don't stop it, both planets are going to be destroyed. And I think Krona has literally a hand in like smashing them together to destroy them. Yeah, it is a qu- really intense <laughs> storyline. I will say that around this issue is where I, I felt like Story-wise, I was really having to kind of like hone in on the details and try to figure out like how everything was was impacting one another because it got like I said. Now you're really like literally really merging the world together. Prior, you were just kind of seeing a big bout going on, but then now you're seeing like the consequences of trying to literally merge. I feel like like the publisher trying to show you like, hey, look, we can't merge these two universes together because it wouldn't make sense, and we destroy (laughs) the fabric of reality. Yes. And so with issue three, its subtitle is called Strange Adventures. And oh, cool. and, and just like what you said, Botter, so we have this world now where things have already started to be different. And mm-hmm. if you uh, pay close attention, you start to see that the suits that they were wearing before oh, yeah. is different. You see that it's not Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern yep. anymore. They brought back Hal Jordan. It's not Wally West Flash anymore. We have Barry Allen back. And there's there's all these inconsistencies exactly and that changes panel to panel which is just so much fun to look back through because you can see all the different costume Mm -hmm. changes they've made over the years and that that is really evident in the final issue as well because it's the big brawl scene at the very end and it is so cool to see everyone's designs And 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 at this point we can kind of go quickly through issue three just because we get to see cap and superman both are like things aren't right something's wrong like this this shouldn't be the way it is uh but all, everyone else is like don't you remember when we all teamed up and fought against amazo and ultron 4 and, and yeah <laughs> their memory yeah yeah exactly their memory they have false memories like you know things just aren't right in their respective universes and when the jla and avengers 
do and, and here's the thing they, they end up like meeting up by like it looked like at the edge of their their respective earths because the only thing in between them is like a faint energy wall and they're like wait a minute why can we see you uh, past this energy wall and to your point that's when superman and iron man decide well <laughs> let's both go into space and take a look at our earths and that's <laughs> when you see uh both planets physically uh with corona's uh, hands being you know smashed together and that's what's causing the the, the problem there yeah. And so at that point, they're like, we need to figure out what is going on. And that's when the stranger shows up and is able to take them through his like portal. And he takes them to the uh, barely alive grandmaster. Oh, yeah. Apparently, whatever he, he did, his last ditch effort has put him on uh, uh, on death's bed. Yes. And, and so that's when grandmaster kind of explains more about what his intentions were and then what the JLA and Avengers need to do in order to beat Krona. And to add on to that, you know, they find Grandmaster and he explains his very poor attempt at trying to fix things. Um, <laughs> and of course, they're asking, well, how do we fix, how do we get things back to normal? Or what is, I think Captain America is the one that initiates, well, before we can figure out how to fix things, what is normal? Like what was yes. the correct path of history? And Grandmaster kind of, uh, he, he shows them what history should have been in their respective universes. And of course, he, he ends up showing them like, you know, tragedies and triumphs that both teams will have to deal with. You know, the losses that they'll have to deal with, the, the victories, but also like a lot of like the dark stuff, right? Like um, Hank Pym sees him like, you know, abusing Janet and being yeah. kicked out of the Avengers. Um, I think uh, uh, Martian Manhunter sees, I think his planet being destroyed again. Yeah, he sees his planet being destroyed. Wanda and Vision losing the, lose their child. Wanda and Vision realize, oh, wait, we, we had kids and we, we're going to lose them. Uh, Barry Allen sees his death uh, during Crisis on Earth. So they, they end up seeing just, you know, every, basically they see their continuity, right? They see mm-hmm. their continuity, which once again, to me, is such a meta comic book. Oh, uh, but, yes. But they see their continuity and they realize, whoa, that's the way it's supposed to be? You want us to... You know, yeah, it it sucks right now. People like we are literally millions of people are dying as the earth is destroying itself and being destroyed. But we have to sacrifice everything, all of that to live that life. And that's really, I think, you know, the the shining moment of of their heroism is they have a moment of like, man, I man, we've led some pretty tough lives. But, you know, in the end, it is the our happiness and sacrificing our happiness is the right thing to do. You know, at the end of the day, we chose to be heroes and. You know, it's about saving the innocent. Um, and that's kind of how issue three kind of ends up is they learn that the the sacrifices that they have to make, which, I mean, if, if you're being real, it's like it, it wasn't a hard decision. It's either you, you fix this and, and yeah, you got to get you got to relive some of these crappy memories. But the earth is also like just being destroyed. Like um, this whole issue was about them putting out fires and saving as many people from destruction as they could. It was It's not a great place to live, period. No. And, and I think that within the storyline, this is the moment where, like you just said, where they realize this is what we do as heroes. And, mm-hmm. and you can tell that, that the, so the creators within the storyline wanted to convey the fact that, yeah, this is why we love comic books. This is why we love these heroes is because they're the ones that are going to make the, the sacrifices in order to make sure all of us are safe and protected, which is just a great story of hope and, and that, that someone's looking out for us in general. For sure. And I mean, this is, you know, it took us, you know, three whole issues to finally see both teams kind of put away their differences and realize that, you know, we, we've got one common enemy. We've got one common goal. And we've got to work together to, to make that happen. Yeah. 
So now that brings us to the final issue of this incredible crossover, which the subtitle for this one is The Brave and the Bold. Mm, And such a beautiful, iconic cover. Uh, Like you stated earlier, we get Superman holding Mjolnir and Captain America's shield. Um, and I believe like it's, a, um, um, you know, so it's, it's a wraparound cover. So yes, you also see both earths being, you know, pressed together. Yeah. In the background. So good. And, and this, this book is just about all the heroes. They're just trying to save as many people as they possibly can. So you see all these like ground level heroes. You see daredevil. I think you see like Nighthawk. Yeah. Like Spider-Man's there. There's just all these heroes that are just helping as much as they can. Uh, to protect these worlds because they're just getting pushed together and it's absolute chaos. You got a worldwide outbreak of earthquakes, fires, weather inversion. Like the, both planets are, are going to shit and it's up to the, like you were saying, the, the ground level heroes to help out as much as they can as far as the civilians while the Avengers and, Just, and Justice League go after, you know, the, the, the big baddies causing this. Now we get to have the Avengers uh, or the Avengers and the JLA. They're putting together kind of a ship that uh <laughs> it's it's pretty funny it's one of atlantis's ships mm-hmm. and they're basically like upgrading it and customizing it and uh, making it work as far as being a travel in order to go up against krona mm-hmm. and and it, it's funny because you have mjolnir that helps power the ship and then you have the cosmic treadmill with barry running on it Vision's kind of like they hook up to Vision's brain as sort of like the the navigational ship or something to that effect. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of cool like how th- these characters are literally like the components of the ship. Yes, it's so good. The, these next few pages, you kind of find you find the team getting ready for the for the last mission. They know they've got to infiltrate uh, where Krona is at and his headquarters, which I think is at the very center of the um, all of the chaos going on. So you get a kind of a, a a low moment or a you get a moment of the both teams reflecting on what needs to happen. You know, you get a really beautiful moment between Barry and Hal. You know, they both know that what comes next for them is, you know, both deaf and really kind of deaf for both of them. But, you know, they know and they have a moment where they share of like, you know, it's it's cool to know that our predecessors um, and, and both uh, Hal. Oh, no, sorry. And both Kyle mm-hmm. and um, and Wally, you know, take up the mantle and, and do what's right for us. So, you know, they feel like, you know, even if something happens to us and, you know, our lives kind of go to crap, um, it's good to know that our mantles are picked up by really good guys. Yeah. And I love the fact that Barry's the thing, one thing he wants to do. He's like, I'm going to go call Iris. Yeah, it's that's like, so nice. It's like, oh, oh, the heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. And you finally get Superman and Captain America, like having just that that moment of like, hey, Sorry about what I said about your universe. I know you're doing your best. And, you know, sometimes I feel like we do too much on our universe. And Captain America gives Superman his shield saying that, you know, we need someone to be able to take the brunt of the attack because where we're going, you know, Krona is going to be ready for us. We're probably going to face a lot more of our, you know, combined uh, uh, rogues gallery. Um, and so, so to see like that moment, a lot of these moments between these characters, it's like a nice down period, you know, because you get so much action and a lot of chaos and things going on. But, you know, it, the, these moments here, like these character moments are really well done, too. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that at this point, so Cap gives Superman the shield, but then Superman's the one that tells everyone, like, we need one singular leader. And he's like, and that's Captain America. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a cool trade-off. It's like even Superman, Supes know like recognizes Captain America's leadership, 
and Captain America recognizes, you know, the power that is uh, Superman. Yeah. And so we get Martian Manhunter to use his, his uh, mind meld to basically connect everyone together so that oh. Cap is able to, like, call the shots in this next That's scene so cool. when they're fighting, which is unbelievable. And when their ship arrives where Krona is, Krona has turned Galactus's body into where he's, like, living. Yeah, like a stronghold. It's it's cra- It's like, once again, it comes down, to, you know, it, once, it, it reminds me of my point. You're like, how powerful and mad is this Krona character? And you just continue to see examples of him. Like Galactus's body used as a stronghold is a major sign of disrespect, <laughs> right? Oh, it's absolutely brutal. And then we get this unbelievably cool Avengers Assemble splash page where all Marvel and DC oh characters are there together. Love it's- it absolutely beautiful you see cap and martian manhunter's faces are split in half next to each other because they're both the ones that are helping out with like the commands of everything that's going on and you just see the rogues gallery of both marvel and dc it starts with all the henchmen starting off to like you i think you see aim in there you see the uh the apocalypse troopers um Mm -hmm. parademons yeah the parademons thank you so much you see like the the mole men Mm -hmm. as well uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's all like the, the best B and Z list like villains and and like like you said the 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 the, the trademark henchmen of both yes. universes like having a little moment right uh, Royal Flesh Gang is there too <laughs> it's so good and, and then eventually once those like D list like henchmen are out of the way that's when more of the bigger villains start popping up I I do love the fact that they incru- included uh, Batroc the Leaper. Yeah in there and he fights batman uh there there's just so much to see in here and this is where you really start to see panel to panel all of their costumes and suits changing yeah because we're there at the um uh it's just like time and and reality is fluctuating Mm -hmm. so you're seeing you know characters costumes change you see different versions of them earlier versions future versions of themselves kind of like pop up so and, and it makes for such um you know, it makes for interesting panels. Like it's, it just kind of keeps you on your toes because you never know who might show up. Yeah. And and we're talking like, like, so we get, we get Hal Jordan there, but then he starts to have the white hair on the side. So we're like more par- parallax yeah, at that true. point. There, there's just so much going on and it, it's just like a visual feast. Uh, yes. th- and so, and you, like you said, like we're jumping between it. So at some point it's, it's Kyle Rayner at other times, it's Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Other times, I think we, we got Guy Gardner at one point in the storyline too. So then we get another incredible splash page where, where we get more of those like maybe B list villains showing up and it is an absolute brawl between everyone. And I I'm pretty sure I just stared at these panels for like a good 10 minutes when I was looking through this. You got villains like Blastar, uh, uh, Ryan. I see Rhino is Mm -hmm. in this, uh, I think machine man. I see some machine man, um, Dr. Light. Uh, I mean, Ronan, Exactly. It's like if the first three issues were about showing you as many of the Avengers and Justice League members throughout, you know, every member possible. Well, we're going to try to make up. We didn't forget about the villains. It just took us until issue four. And we're going to make up for lost time by including as many villains as we can. And if I'm not mistaken, I know in issue three, that cover alone, George Perez managed to draw every uh existing member of both teams on that cover so current and past members for both avengers and jla were graced that cover and then if i'm not mistaken i think in issue four which we're talking about now 
he managed to draw every villain past or existing and past villains uh, from both teams in this single issue, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and it's highly believable because we're talking about George Perez and he's just that mm-hmm. level of, of detail. And that's how articulate he is, is that. And I mean, let's be real. It's maybe, you know, if it's 48 pages. I mean, it's it ain't the full 48 pages that he's drawing all these villains. So you get all these villains in, uh, in a handful of issues. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, and a handful of pages. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. I love the fact that we get Superman blue in one of these. <laughs> I saw that page and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. That's incredible. And let's not forget, Superman has a cap shield this entire time. Like he, he's out there fighting with the shield and it looks good on him. It does. It looks very cool. And so we get to the point where everyone's fighting and then we get to see Eternity shows up because Krona's basically drawing that entity out and then they say it's eternity which is the like the um that's the the mar in within marvel is like that universe and then they said that there's then the counterpart of the dc universe i think that sentience name is like called kismet or kimmet or something like that but they don't they don't uh uh, they don't go by her name in, in this story wanda says oh my lord that's eternity and his counterpart from the league's universe no doubt Yes. Yeah. So I, I thought it was strange that they never said their name, but interesting. And then we get a very cool scene with, uh, I think that's, so it's Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern and uh, Iron Man, where Iron Man has basically designed a like machine gun, huge machine gun thing that Kyle has created out of the lantern ring. And Kyle Rayner's like, he's like, I'm so impressed by how fast you're able to come up with this design. And then uh tony is like tell me where i can get one of those rings friend yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's cool you know like these pairings too sometimes like iron man and 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 green lantern like the the compliments they pay at times is is so fun too like you can tell there's a lot of love um and it's and it's believable like you're like yeah they'd be best friends of course Mm mm-hmm yeah, 100%. They do a great job of finding the characters that would get along and also yeah, the ones that might good. not get along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to fast forward to what we see on the cover of this issue is Thor is kind of completely drowning in villains and Superman has just kind of taken has just kind of taken out a few other of the villains around him. Thor is able to throw Mjolnir over to Superman and so we get to see Superman with the shield with Mjolnir and then he breaks through the wall that we talked about that was at the beginning of this issue. Yeah, I, I don't know the two villains that Superman ends up getting. Um, oh, and, and if you pay attention to, you know, once again, those those minor details, Superman's uh, Superman, who's carrying Cap's shield at this moment, the shield transforms into his old, uh, um, more triangular Liberty shield, right? Yes. Which is, mm-hmm. I, I didn't notice that until right now. Yeah. But the two villains that he ends up facing once again, kind of comes down to like just really good writing and, and pairings. He's being, uh, he's facing radio. Um, I think it's, uh, the villain's name is like radioactive. Yeah. I think uh, it's radioactive man. Actually it's literally yeah, radioactive, yeah, yeah. Man. radioactive man. And he taps in radioactive man is blasting. Uh, he taps into the kryptonite wavelength and he makes a comment like, I swear this wavelength, the radio radiation was meaningless nonsense, but here it is working on this guy. And I don't know who the other, villain is that's attacking him but he's basically hitting superman of like you know red sun radiation one of his weaknesses and they know this because Krona fed them this information but it's good writing because it's like it really makes sense that superman would have trouble with these two villains right like these very c-list villains in their own regard and this moment together are a, are a threat to superman and to your point it's it's 
is only because Vision and, and Thor help out that, you know, Superman is able to best these two. Yeah, I, I think it was really cool because Vision hits Superman with like laser beams out of his eyes. That's solar energy and it supercharges <laughs> Superman. And then he just like, yeah, he uh, goes down. Yeah, he does like the Vegeta final explosion move <laughs> from DBZ and just takes out everyone around him. Do they love pummeling Superman? Like, and so yes. not only so he defeats those two, and then about five, six, you know, other villains jump on Superman, and he's having a hard time. Yeah, it, they do not. They're unrelenting against Superman in these issues. Uh, so we have Superman break through that wall, and then immediately see we see Krona, who has like all of those items uh, that they were finding earlier. He basically has access to all of them. Oh my god! I didn't notice this, but the X Men show up. That's Beast. Yeah, yeah. And it's Grant Morrison uh, X Men suit. Wow, mm-hmm. book really has it all. Yep, there is a lot of stuff here. There, hmm. like, little, and there's like little corners where you see like parts of a character. You're like, oh my That's gosh, they, yeah. like they were actually able to keep them in this run. Uh, so we have Krona, who looks like he is just going to absolutely destroy both universes, and then uh, two characters that you thought. Uh, were killed earlier in the storyline so you have flash and hawkeye show up again and they're able to distract krona long enough hawkeye shoots up into this kind of like orb that krona has been like building and it destroys it and basically sends krona away <laughs> it was hearing you describe it it's like i know it sounds anticlimactic but it it is a cool uh, it, it ends in a cool way because you thought that Hawkeye and, and Flash had been defeated or killed off panel or earlier on. But how how kind of in its own poetic way that especially with a Hawkeye series having just like, you mm-hmm. know, came out. But Hawkeye and Flash of all people, a guy that can run really fast and a guy, of you know, bow and arrows and are the reason that the day is saved. And it's one of, uh, uh, for those that want to know is one of Hawkeye's TNT arrows that blows up the um, um, the orb thing that Krona was using to uh, combine both universes. Yeah. And and then after Krona is gone, everyone's like, oh, we can finally breathe. And then these two <laughs> giant hands come in between the worlds and everyone's like, oh, geez, what's going to happen now? <laughs> and then it, the hands start to part the two worlds. And you see that it's actually how Jordan has the specter that is separating the worlds again. And so they're able to they were able to have one last kind of adventure with Hal as like the regular Green Lantern. And now he's back to kind of help everyone in the end. Yeah. And and it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny that, you know, the kind of the, the dust clears. All of the heroes are just, you know, they're tattered, beaten, bruised. And uh, <laughs> Superman tries to lift Mjolnir again. But I guess the enchantment is back to working because he can't lift it. And he's like absolutely confused and i think thor says something to the effect of um, uh you know trying to explain the enchantment superman's like but i held it before and then thor says my father is stern superman but not stupid very few worthies have been allowed to overcome the spell in desperate hours but know this perhaps it was but brief but it was in good hands like such a good like little mm-hmm. moment together right i'll get a little send off loved it uh, and then at that point, uh, the so the place that they were on was Galactus that had been turned into basically uh, a living space. and But he's waking up now. And so there's rumblings and shakings and they're like, Galactus is waking up. We need to all go. And so the two 
uh, teams begin to travel to their respective universes. Eternity says goodbye to his DC counterpart as well. There's kind of like a hand of God moment where they're kind of almost touching fingers as they're separating. Everything's kind of phased out. And then we get to see a conversation between uh, the Grandmaster and uh, Metron again. Yeah. And, and, And don't you end up learning that, you know, they had a sub game kind of between them, right? A, a wager between them. What, what was the exact wager again? We learn that Metron and Grandmaster had kind of come up with this entire idea on their own and that Metron had moved Crona uh, into the Marvel Universe to encounter the Grandmaster to then start this entire game. And so it was just something that the two of them wanted to see happen. Uh, and the Grandmaster basically talks about how this is the first time that everyone within the games he plays have won and so like they they were able to enjoy the game the both marvel and dc universes were able to win and then also kind of the final layer to it was that there is now this cosmic egg where krona is inside of it where he will then learn the mysteries of creation once it once it hatches and so the villain of the story actually gets a winning outcome as well and that's kind of what you had mentioned earlier, too, was the fact that the, this storyline is still in canon because the cosmic egg actually appeared in DC's Trinity storyline. Which wasn't it written by um, or uh, Mark Wade had a hand in it? Wasn't it written or he had a hand in? I'm sure he did. Mark Wade has his hands <laughs> in like everything. You're right. Which I, I bring it up because, you know, Mark Wade, like you mentioned in the beginning, was supposed to co-write this with uh, Kurt Busiak. But, um, you know, he couldn't because of contractual obligations. But it's cool, you know, that he kind of still got in a way to, to play with these characters. Yeah. So that is JLA Avengers. Botter, what are, what are your overall thoughts of the storyline? It's epic. It is. It, it is to me. I, I was thinking about how in, in regards to superhero comics, this is probably one of those that you got to put if you were to make a list of some of the best superhero comics, I think you got to put this on that list for starters, because it's just such a moment, right? Like, yeah. like we said this to, to this day, 2022, right? This is the most recent collaboration between the two companies. And it is done as such an epic, the story, the story fits the epic scale of both parties. Like you needed to have the stakes and this type of story for these two uh, uh, great franchises. Um, but, but just from aside from that, it, it is also done with a lot of labor of love. It is fan service at its best. It is George Perez doing, you know, some of his best work ever. Kurt Busiek writes such a great, fun story. It's just so much fun, man. It is fun and it's got so much scale. Yeah. There's a, there's so much meat to this storyline. Well said. Like I was reading it and then I was like, I was going through and I was like, I'm only halfway through this issue. (laughs) And I feel like I've read three comic book issues in one. There's just so much going on. If you are a casual fan, it'll be fun to see like the different heroes showing up. If you are a diehard fan, you'll understand a little bit more about what's really going on. And you'll be able to catch a lot more of the, the Easter eggs, the little uh, uh, jo- side jokes and, and, you know, like things that they mention. I think it's got a little bit of, of for everyone. If you are just like you said, a casual fan that, recognizes these characters at a surface level then you've got the whole gamut you know in here but if you've been reading comic books especially the big two for a long time it is a lot of fun to just sit down and relax and just play like just give it time to look at every panel and whatnot this is a blockbuster comic book big time it 
and I don't use that phrase. Uh, um, I don't use that phrase loosely. There's only a few things I consider a blockbuster comic book. Batman Hush is one of those that come to mind. Yes, this is definitely another one of those that come to mind because just have how of how it's just a moment you know it transcends just me being a comic book but it's like a moment man it's like the jla in the avengers you know there's something there is something prestigious about that like yes we've seen marvel and dc on the same pages uh, a few times right you know there's over three trade paperbacks collecting those stories but there's a reason i think there's a reason why they haven't collected this they know that they've got to do it right yeah. and they need to hurry up and just do it all right Wait, figure it out seriously do it but this is such a uh, an epic story yeah i oh i love it so much it, it this was so much fun to revisit this storyline and just to be able to break it down and discuss it Bader, thank you so much for joining me on this episode could you let our listeners know where they can find you and uh, your incredible podcast yeah absolutely this was a uh, this was a, a lot of fun lance and i appreciate you giving me a reason to to reread this and honestly read it th- read it thoroughly you know, for the first time in full. Um, and it was a lot of fun to, to learn some of that backstory. I think that definitely enhances, um, that definitely enhanced my reading experience too. learning that, you know, we almost didn't get this story and that it ended up landing back with George Perez, who wanted to do the original and one of my favorite comic book writers ever, Kurt Busiek. But, uh, in regards to, uh, uh, you know, listening to, to me blather on more about comic books if you enjoy comic book and pop culture conversations like Lance has here at the Combo Keepers, then check out my podcast, The Short Box, a comic book podcast. Uh, like I said, me and my co-host have been recording since 2012. We've tried to entertain listeners around the world with great conversations about comic books and pop culture. You can join us every Wednesday on your favorite podcast app, so whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever it may be, we're pretty much on all podcast apps. Check out all of our episodes that drop on Wednesdays. And they are all amazing and hilarious. And I thoroughly enjoy every single one of them. Right, look, that's that's the only cosign I need on this show, right? Like, look, if, if, <laughs> if the host of this show is telling you to check out my show, I can't ask for more. Thank you, Lance. Yeah, of course. It's time to close the book on JLA Avengers. So until next time, this is Lance. And this is Botter. Reminding you that just like our love for George Perez and his career, the crossovers are infinite. Exciting news, everyone. We found out after recording that the JLA Avengers trade paperback is going to be reprinted and it's going to be coming out in March of 2022. So March 16th to be exact. It's actually going to be part of the Hero Initiative, which means that proceeds will be going towards that specific charity, which is all about helping comic book creators in medical or financial need. Sadly, for some reason, they've decided to only do it a printing of 7,000 copies which means that the availability is going to be extremely low. And if you want a copy of it, reach out to your local comic shop, see if they'll be ordering any. And with any luck, maybe there's one there for you when you go in on March 16th. Good luck.